In this episode of the Smart City Podcast, I had a delightful conversation with Nancy Odendahl. Nancy is an urban planner and associate professor in city planning at the University of Cape Town, South Africa. She has been in the Smart City game for well over a decade now and is really interested in how technologies affect power dynamics between people. Nancy has a number of projects on the go at the moment, one of which is researching the use of drones to enable humanitarian aid. Nancy and I discuss many things, including using technology as an enabler for social justice and how technology can enhance the sense of place of a city. As well as this, Nancy talked about some of the things South Africa and Africa as a whole is doing in the smart city space and the impact simple technology is having on transport, mobility and street traders. This is a longer episode than usual, but I really hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it. It's the Smart City Podcast, whoa, with smart city experts, here we go. Connecting smart technology, both big and small. Smart cities are making life better for all. Big data, emerging trends, self-driving cars and more. The Smart City Podcast is what you're looking for. So hi, Nancy, how are you going? Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Zoe. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's 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 a great privilege. Thank you. A smart city podcast, my God. <laughs> I went searching for a uh, podcast on smart cities and I just couldn't find one. So I was like, well, I'll just make my own and then just start emailing people in the space and, um, yeah, start kind of – I'm calling it the Smart City Collective. Lovely. Where, um, it's like a – hub of people um, and with lots of information, lots of different co- connections in, yeah, kind of the one space. So, yeah. What a great idea. Thanks. So we'll dive straight in. Um, let's start in the past. And my first question is, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're passionate about? Sure, sure. Um, so I, um, I'm a, an urban planner. I trained as an urban planner. And um, I sort of developed an interest in technology quite early on in my career, but largely from working on geographic information systems. Um, and then later on, I became quite curious about how technologies um, enable, how they affect power dynamics between people and how they enable people to um, access resources and to empower themselves um, and how that relates to city processes. So I, I then became quite interested in this notion of what we used to call the digital city in the late 1990s. Um, and the digital city was largely around how, you know, where we still talked about digital technologies or new technologies and how that, how that interfaces with the city um, in all sorts of ways. Um, so I became interested in that, I would say, kind of early 2000s um, as a debate in itself, you know, coming from a, from a background where, where technology was something I always thought about. Um, and then I, I ended up doing my PhD research on smart cities in South Africa. And when I started my PhD research, it was fairly, um, yeah, I mean, I, I battled getting a supervisor or, or some would say an advisor in different contexts. We call it supervisors um, for my PhD in South Africa because 
the sense was that, well, you know, what's so important about technology in cities? Um, yeah, well. yeah, I know. We, you know, I say that now and it just sounds ridiculous, right? But it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, but I, I remember sort of in the urban planning community, there being very little interest in the notion of the digital city or indeed the smart city. Unfortunately, I found a supervisor who wanted to work with me um, in Johannesburg, and um, and I I did my research in Durban, which is the third largest city in South Africa. It's also the major sort of main port city, and it's quite an industrial city still. Um, unlike Cape Town, for example, which is where I'm based now, which is largely a a kind of service-driven, service-sector-driven economy. Um, so I was quite curious to see how the city of Durban was embracing technology. Um, and it turned out that they had a smart city um, strategy that they were working on. This is the city government, the municipality. Um, but it was largely developmental. Um, and what I mean by that is there was a big focus on socioeconomic development and, and how, how do technologies enable kind of, um, you know, the city government to, um, to improve its own sort of bureaucratic procedures and processes, but at the same time also how technology can sort of be made accessible, like internet, for example, be made accessible to a broader or broader audience. So that kind of developmental focus was 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 quite interesting to me, um, and I think it really it really informed the remainder of you know my, my sort of research on smart cities overall, and that is that. I'm very interested in how people appropriate technologies um, in ways that suit their livelihoods as well as their lifestyles um, and how that interfaces with, you know, how they, how they move around the city, how they interface with city processes. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that kind of set the tone of my research really. Um, and uh, and I, I yeah I did some work I did some work in Brisbane as well actually <laughs> I, I yeah I had a research grant um, on, as a part of an exchange program I was based at Griffith University for three weeks and I I sort of I ended up writing a paper where I compared uh, Brisbane's kind of digital city initiatives with Durban's initiatives and trying to kind of establish what the differences were. And what I essentially found was there was the one similarity, even though the two cities are so different in such different parts of the world, is the one similarity is that a smart city strategy is often accorded with a, the city's kind of own strategic objectives. And those strategic objectives were often associated with sort of economic development strategies. So so that was an important finding for me, um, you know, whether it was in the Global South or, or, or in Australia. I never know whether Australia is part of the Global South or North. I suppose geographically it's South, but, um, <laughs> you know, socioeconomically it's up there with the Global North in many ways. Um, so, yeah, so that that was really the work I'd been doing. I'd done for, well, I would say probably the first half, yeah, from about 2001 to about uh, 2005, 2008, I suppose. Yeah, um, and then I and then I sort of gave it a bit of a break, and I came back to the smart city stuff. I would say probably about four years ago, um, when there was a 
what I would say a, a kind of resurgence of interest in, in smart city debates, um, you know, as we kind of got to the position of, of, of um, sort of big data and uh, talking about Internet of Things and so forth. So it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, wow. So you worked on, like I imagine back in 2001, even to 2008, the smart city space would have been, yeah, totally new and totally um, even like utopian kind of view of what things will look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an interesting space to work in because, um, I mean, what I found was that uh, there were there were essentially three kind of approaches that I found um, that I that I could discern. Um, the one was this kind of technologically determinist idea of you know te- technology is going to save us or technology is going to um, you know if you were writing from the global south perspective, which I always have done, um, you know technology is this great savior, this great panacea that will solve all sorts of socioeconomic ills and and that kind of technologically determinist perspective you know, uh, was something that I always took issue with and I had a problem with always because I think what it does is it objectifies technology and it, um, and I always embraced a kind of a second perspective, which was more around, you know, that, that technology and human agency kind of coexist and they inform each other, you know. Um, so that to me is a far more interesting way of looking at it. And then, of course, there's the kind of futuristic stuff, you know, the kind of science fiction type stuff that 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 is amusing and probably got me interested in it in the first place, um, but possibly to a large extent um, informed by a kind of fantastical idea of what technology can do, which is not necessarily um, rooted in, 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 in any kind of realistic way um, in terms of how people live and how people find their way around the city. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it was definitely, uh, I mean, I suppose personally from a career, from a career perspective, it was, it was, it was for me, it was a good space to be in because um, I mean, people were writing about technology in in developing countries, but largely, um, you know, either looking at e-governance, which is something I got bored with very quickly, although I think it's a very, was a very important piece of um, body of work that looked at how, Technology could enable, well, I suppose, better governance processes. Um, but, um, or, you know, people were writing about technology as savior. You know, technology is this great kind of economic enabler. And there was talk about leapfrogging and, you know, and the sense that, that the, the global south will essentially just kind of forge ahead. Um, and I, I, I always had a bit of an issue with it. So I suppose I carved out a niche for myself. Um, where I was interested in actual cities um, and the shape of cities and spaces and cities and how that interfaced with with technologies and and what that where that took me to essentially very quickly is to to think about informality um, a little bit more carefully because so many cities in the global south. Um, you know, more so perhaps in Latin America than in, in many Southern African cities or more so in West Africa than in Southern Africa. There's so much variation. But informality is quite core to understanding um, the city in, in, in Southeast Asia as well, um, you know, where, where a lot of livelihoods are enabled through the informal economy or people live in informal settlements. And to me, I thought there was such an interesting um, sort of interrogation to be had around around technology and informality. Um, 
So I found a lot of my work, I started looking at mobile phones and how mobile phones are used by street traders, for example. Um, um, and, and to me, that's, yeah, and also how new spaces are created through mobile telephony and in the city um, from an urban design perspective. So, um, yeah, I sort of carved that little niche out for myself fairly quickly. And it was, it was probably quite a strategic thing to do academically. Um, um, but recently, there's been some really wonderful work that's come out of Brazil and, um, and Chile and uh, India, of course, um, on, 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 on that kind of realm of work as well um and and possibly there's a whole you know there's a whole bunch of work around global south and technologies and other languages that i just haven't read because i can only speak english and well and afrikaans but that doesn't help anybody um so, yeah. so um i mean you talked a lot about what kind of sparked your interest i'm interested in you know from 2001 2008 and then you had like the break there what kind of drew you back to that smart city? Was there any, like, one thing in particular that you read or you saw or you heard someone speak or, or was it just kind of felt like you had, you, yeah, were being drawn back to the smart city space? I was actually trying to avoid getting back into the smart city space because I, I was a bit sick of it, to be honest. Um, and and I, I just felt as an academic I wanted to do a different kind of work and also look at different infrastructures, Um you know, there's 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 some really interesting work being done on water and on you know sanitation and and, and so forth. So I thought you know let me rather do something different. But then I also um, I got distracted by um, by just other work. I was I was doing more sort of curricular work um, and I was doing a lot of travelling around the African continent. But while I was to, you know on on sort of a different kind of project, and while I was travelling, I still found myself um, you know I would be in Nairobi. And, and and I heard about M-Pesa, which is this um, electronic banking, mobile banking service that, that originated in, in, in Kenya. And I, I found myself completely fascinated by that, right? And I found myself constantly taking photos of, of sort of um, little phone kiosks in Accra and Ghana and in Lagos in Nigeria. And I thought to myself, my God, are you still interested in this stuff? You know? <laughs> so, so even though I was working on something completely different, you know, a big um, continental um, urban planning curricular project, I still found myself being drawn to how, how digital technologies or how new technologies are embedded in the city and how they manifest um, in the city on, on city streets, etc. But the actual the actual specific thing that got me back into writing about smart cities um, was an invitation to participate in a workshop on um, smart urbanism, um, which was organised by um, by folks at Durham University in England. Um, which also resulted in a great book called Smart Urbanism, um, and the organisers were Simon Marvin, who has has had been a kind of long sort of established um, academic hero of mine. Um, so to be invited by him to a workshop on smart cities, I thought, oh yes, here's my moment, you know. <laughs> and then um, and and his co-organisers are also just great academics, great people, um, Colin McFarlane and Andres Luke. Um, and the three of them then edited this book that was published by, I think it was published by Routledge, um, called Smart Urbanism, um, and the, you know, in which I published a chapter. Um, but the workshop was great because it really, you know, the fact that they used the term smart urbanism 
as opposed to smart cities, I think was quite poignant because it, it sort of, you know, to me, it, it speaks more to process rather than something that just exists out, outside the human experience. You know, it speaks to, you know, when we talk about being urban, we speak about, I suppose, to me, it conjures up this idea of just being a city dweller and, and, and moving and moving through the city and being part of the city. So I love the idea of smart urbanism. So, so that's what sparked me to get involved with that again. Um, and then I also have a long a sort of standing friendship with um, and an academic relationship with Marcus Foth, who's, um, you know, Marcus, I'm sure he's the director of um, urban, urban informatics lab. Is it? Um, um, at, at Queensland University of Technology. And through Marcus, I also kind of got roped into doing some writing for a book that he was editing with some others. Um, and, you know, ac- academia is often about relationships, right, about networks and relationships. And so I suppose I just got pulled into and, and was very privileged to be invited back into this space. Um, and, yeah, so that's what got that going again. And then the kind of invitations continued rolling in. And also I love traveling. So if I get invited to go to a workshop on something, I'll probably go. <laughs> so. Yep. I'm, I'm with you on that. I love traveling. But work or play is fine. Absolutely. I can make both work. I can both, <laughs> both can work. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's talk a bit about the projects and things that you're currently kind of working on um, mm, sure. in this space. Okay. Um so I, um, yeah, I've got some really nice stuff going on, actually, um, with some, again, with people that I've liked and admired for, for years. Um, so, again, with Simon Marvin, who's based at Sheffield University, he's the, I think they call it director of the Urban Institute. Um, we'll be working on a project looking at drones and the use of drones to um, to kind of enable humanitarian assistance um, emergency assistance and, you know, sort of delivery of medicines, for example, in, in other parts of Africa. So that, that's about to kick off. We're having our first meeting in February. Um, and we're doing that with uh, a grant from the British Academy. Um, it's a year long project and it's largely exploratory. We kind of want to get a sense of what this drone infrastructure means, what the implications are, um, for, yeah, for, for kind of, um, uh, enabling uh, livelihoods, I suppose, is a good way of putting it. Um, and then I another project that's kicking off this this month um, and will be running for the next three years is um, with Iona Data, who's at King's University in London. She's done some amazing work on smart cities in India. Um, and Ola Soderstrom, who's based at Neuchatel University in Switzerland, um, and Duganta Das, who's um, in Singapore, and we'll be working on a comparative project on smart cities in India and South Africa. So oh, wow. we've got two pairs. Yeah, I know it's going to be fun. Um, and in fact, Ayana and I have already done some work on this through another grant. Um, but this this particular grant is with funding from the Swiss National Research Foundation. Um, and uh, so we want to kind of get to grips with how the smart city discourse manifests in um, manifests in, in 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 India and how it manifests in 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 South Africa, and then do a comparison. Um, so yeah, we're very excited about that. And 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 then 
The third thing I'm working on is a is a book um, with my friend Alessandro Origi, who's at Plymouth University in Britain. And Alex, Alex has written some really great stuff on, on on digital cities and smart cities. And he's a he's an architect and urban designer. Um, and with me being an urban planner, I think we often do speak the same language because we're both interested in space and the production of space. Um, so we're working on a book together on a book which um, we hope to get the proposal in by the end of this month. It's looking a bit tight right now. Um, where we're looking at, at, at place, you know, how do we, how do smart technologies um, and sort of embedded technologies, things like screens and, you know, virtual reality uh, technologies, how do, how do those contribute to the creation of place? Um, and what place making and, you know, a kind of deeper sense of, 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 of the kind of, I suppose, the cultural identity of certain places in the city. Um, and we've already got a couple of, it's an edited book that we're going to be working on together. And we've already got a couple of chapters from folks at, at QUT, at the University of Sydney, is a big Australian presence in the book, which is great. Um, and then we've got some folks from Europe as well um, contributing. So, so what we're really trying to get at is, is, is you know, how do we, how do we use technologies or how can te- technologies actually enhance um, the, the sense of place um, of urban spaces, you know, okay, rather than just kind of plonking something down and hoping that people will use it, you know, how can you actually enhance how you feel in a place with, with technology? So, so I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a nice collection of work. And then, oh, and then there's lots of, lots of little writing gigs, you know, just kind of bits and pieces for journals and stuff. Yeah, cool. No, it sounds very interesting. Sounds like you've got a lot of really interesting things on your plate at the moment. Yeah, no, I'm excited. It's really, it's really great stuff. I'm, 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 I'm really excited about the, the, the notion of post smart as well, which is something that's beginning to emerge. This idea that, that, that smart technologies has become such an integral part of our livelihoods that we can now start talking about post smart, you know, which is probably where the drone project is, could be quite exciting to, to look at how these things now go a step further, um, and actually start altering, um, the way we do things quite concretely. Yeah, I think the um, like you know, a tech, a technology or, or or a device or something is um, you know, has made it when it becomes boring because it's just part of our normal life. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's that's a, that's a great observation. Yeah, yeah. So you know, really interesting times ahead in all all parts of the world. Yeah, absolutely, and I and and I think. Yeah, I mean, it's this notion of, of, yeah, the way it just, is it Bruce Mao, I think, who, who wrote about, you know, the mundane, where something becomes invisible, it's mundane. I think it's a great way of thinking about post-smart, I suppose, you know, where, where it's such a part of our day-to-day that it's not even, uh, yeah, it's almost decentered. Uh, um, and I suppose in my part of the world, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we're not talking about, um, driverless cars yet. We're not, you know, we're not there. It's just not, uh, we're still trying to grapple with getting effective public transport systems going. But, you know, I suppose, you know, if you kind of start talking about effective public transport systems, you can perhaps start having a conversation about, um, automated sort of systems yeah. that don't require. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe there's some leap, leapfrogging that can take place. Um, yeah, and and uh, but to me, what's more interesting is 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 how 
is how sort of technologies become part of the day-to-day and in, in, in sort of people who kind of live quite marginal marginal sort of existences, you know, people who do live in informal settlements, et cetera, how, how, they, the, how they enable the everyday. Um, to me, that's, that's, that's always been far more interesting. Although it's very, very um, exciting when you start thinking about the, the, the more sort of, um, yeah, the very, you know, the drones and driverless vehicles. I mean, it's, 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 it's fun, the futuristic stuff. It's fun to talk about, right? It's fun to think about. Definitely. Well, that kind of leads on to my next question, which is what um, types of things is South Africa and I guess even Africa as a whole doing in that smart city kind of space? Sure. Yeah, there's, there's quite a mixed bag. Um, I mean, on the one hand, there's there's the sort of Songdo, uh, Dubai kind of vision of smart cities that's starting to appear on on plans, right? Um, I mean, you're starting to see... Um, these um, sort of fantastical um, master plans for smart cities in places like Nairobi and Lagos and Rwanda, Kigali, which is, is something I tend to be quite critical of because it bears such little resemblance to what the cities are actually like and what really goes on there. So I suppose we can term it there's the fantasy, you know, um, and it's a term that was coined by my, my colleague, Vanessa Watson, who teaches with me here at UCT in urban planning. Um, you know, these kind of fantasy ideas that um, that don't often move beyond paper plans, you know, they're often um, – and, and the argument that Vanessa has made in, in a paper that she published on it was just that quite often it's just a, a vehicle for property speculation um, – you know, Africa being seen as the last frontier for those kind of large-scale um, sort of developments, and that smart is really just a tag. Um, it's really just a, a discourse, you know, rather than um, something that's 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 like Songdo. It's, it's Songdo in South Korea, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I went there. That's where you went. Yeah, that's right. I remember you saying. Um, so there's that, um, and it's always interesting to watch that unfold. The, 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 the fascinating thing is, is those kind of narratives haven't really found them found a home in South Africa. I mean, we have other sort of fantastical ideas about cities in this country, where you know, which are often just sort of codes for for gated communities. But um, but we haven't really you haven't really seen that in South Africa, where you have these kind of large scale developments being proposed that I would just call smart cities. Um, so, so that's the one is the, the kind of fantastical stuff. Um, and then there's, there's, there's the sort of, I suppose, just the kind of retrofitted um, sort of infrastructure led developments that, you know, where there's been um, a push for um, installing fiber optic for enabling smart grids for, um, you know, sort of, um, enabling kind of digital systems that would, um, would ensure more, um, optimization of smart, of, of scarce resources, you know, really infrastructure led, the stuff that's run by engineers. Um, and, and, and that's going on, you know, that's, that's, and that you'll probably find embedded in, big redevelopment projects or, um, you know, in uh, new developments. Yeah, I mean, you'll probably find bits of that everywhere or in parts of cities that get retrofitted with fiber optic or and so on. So, so there's that going on. How much of that is going on, I'm not entirely sure, but um, it would certainly be interesting to kind of do a, do a kind of systematic 
um, scan of, of how much of that is, of, of that is going on. Um, and then I think the other form of smart is, is really, um, is the stuff that I've been writing about. And that is, you know, smart from the bottom up. Um, and there's, there's a couple of dimensions to that. There's, there's smart technologies being used by people in their everyday um, existences and their everyday um, sort of movement around the city, making sense of the city, et cetera, communicating, um, and so on. And, and, and uncovering that, I think, um, is, is, is quite an, is, is, is an entry point to understanding uh, what contemporary urbanity actually looks like in, in the African context. I, I don't think you can have a conversation about any form of the urban without actually considering technologies. I, th- I think it's just become such a such an integral part of our, 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 our day-to-day lives. But the other dimension of it, which I've also written about, is, is the social justice angle, and that is where social justice, justice movements and community-based organizations use technologies you know, quite often, obviously, social media um, to um, what well, to either fight a good fight or maybe not always a good fight, but you know, fight a fight, <laughs> and um, and you know, or sort of through some oppositional practice, um, you know, they're unhappy with something someone's uh, you know government is doing or local government is doing, and actually using technologies to to challenge the status quo, and that's that's always interesting, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so that those are the kind of bits and pieces that I would say um, tell us something about smart. And then, of course, there's, there's again, I suppose this relates to the everyday. It's just how how technology manifests in space. You know, whether it's um, new forms of land use, like little, you get these little um, little kiosks that are provided by big mobile phone providers that kind of become quite interesting little collectives and spaces and social spaces. And, you know, I think those, those manifestations, we haven't, I haven't come across many people who've written about that. And I think those are interesting to unpack. Yeah. All very interesting. It seems we're all kind of doing our own little parts and things and to suit our own kind of, you know, social economic kind of situation and, um, yeah, and yeah. how we use the space um, in all the different yeah cities. It's it's really really fascinating. Well, I mean, I'm glad you said that because I think you know a lot of the smart city discourses tend to be um, tend to be kind of city in a box kind of ideas. You know, sort of oh look, you know, if I mean if you if you Google smart city and you look at images, you know, you'll see these. No doubt you've seen this, but these these kind of these weird images that kind of, you know, very tick boxy that, um, you know, that say, well, you know, if your city has this, then you're a smart city. And, you know, it's kind of that dashboard thing of, you know, let's, let's, you know, the standardized, I suppose the word I'm trying to get at is a kind of standardized perspective on a smart city. And what you've just said is actually say, is, is, is where I agree that actually, no, the smart city kind of gets made and remade over and over again in different contexts and it looks different. In different contexts. Yeah, definitely. I'm really passionate about um, bringing that smart tech to regional areas because although it's called smart city tech, it doesn't like I think the stuff that's going to happen in a big city, no matter what you know, kind of what we do, um, it can be definitely shaped. But I'm really passionate about bringing that smart tech to regional areas that can. Um, and again, yeah, it won't look the same as you know, say Brisbane and Ipswich or Toowoomba. Um, these smaller cities, but I think it can make a real difference to people's lives. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I guess 
it's yeah really interesting to hear about the the things that you know different countries are doing and and you know that it's really interesting mm-hmm. i think that everyone's talking about this space um and and kind of talking about it as if it's a new thing whereas you know we know that it's not it's just got a new banner now yeah. that we're all waving and which is yeah you know, exactly it's fine by me because um you know mm. if we get it if it gets somewhere you know where we can use like and i think tech at the moment is you know at that exponential kind of rate of growth and um mm. you know mm. it's um, yeah really exciting really exciting yeah I think it's I think it's exciting and I th- I think it's you know I think the the fantastical stuff is exciting too you know um even if it is just so that you can make fun of it um but um, but I think I I I like I don't know I've I've always found um I've always found technology exciting I've always I mean you know, I, I, I look at drones and I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> you know, I need to find out more about that. Um, and, and I think there's something about the material manifestation of invention that enables us to be mobile, to communicate, which are such human qualities. You know, I mean, the, the, the wanting to move around and freedom of movement and, and, and needing to communicate with one another. Is, 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 is such an integral part of the human condition um, and to kind of come, you know, and to see these material manifestations of these, these inventions that enable us to do that um, with so much more efficacy. Um, I think this is, is hugely exciting. I've, I've always, I've always been very skeptical of this critique of, for example, social media and technology that it, it turns us into asocial beings that, you, you know, those critiques. I mean, I, and in fact, I, I remember last time I was in Brisbane a couple of years ago, I went to this incredible exhibition on video games, for example, that kind of just looked at, you know, gaming as a, as an idea. Um, and I just think, I don't know, you know, yeah, sure. There's quite a arguments to be made for a social behavior and the stuff that's available on the internet and etc. But there's, there's so much that tells us that, you know, so much enables us to even be more together and create more community. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, there's pros and cons with everything depending on how you use it. And I think a lot of the time when it's mainstream, I don't know, for example, I don't know, electricity or something. We don't often talk about the cons of, you know, burning coal and that kind of thing in, in the, in the space of if I switch on my light, a negative effect is, you know, something else. Cause we just have accepted that, you know, that's what, you know, we, we're yeah. entitled to electricity. I mean, it's a bit yeah. like Facebook and, um, you know, I know myself, like I, I set my Facebook up so then I don't have endless hours with, you know, scrolling or whatever and i think if you're using it um properly or not even properly using it in the way that you know feels co- good and comfortable to you then i yeah mm-hmm. I, I agree with absolutely you. i think there's a lot mm-hmm. um, of negativity around there but i think some of that negativity wouldn't even be able to be broadcast without social media so it's very interesting when people are critiquing you know um i don't know Facebook on Instagram or on YouTube, or they wouldn't even be able to get an audience without these platforms. So I think, yeah. And if you use them as, <laughs> yeah, it is. And if you use them as a platform, as a tool, rather than, you know, just soul sucking or whatever, then, you know, I, I don't know. I totally yeah. agree. And I don't know. I, maybe it's my millennial attitude, but. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm much older than you, and I, I, I and I, I'm sure. Um, and and I, to me, it's, to me, it's kind, of, it's 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 almost like you're objectifying technology again by doing that, by being super critical, right? It's it's like you, 
you endowing technology with so much power um, by making the argument that it leads to this kind of these, um, you know, dysfunctional social processes. Um, and um, I mean, gosh, you know, if someone uh, sort of sits in a dark room 24-7 playing video games or being on social media without being outside and actually interacting with people um, in an analog way, if we can put it that way. And, you know, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, it's, there's something to be said for the, the nature of those circumstances rather than just the technology, right? Yeah, definitely. No, yeah, I really like that. It's, it's not just the technology. It's, it's a bit like, you know, a smart city is not the technology. It's that, the what it enables i guess um and that you need an enabling environment to have a smart city you can't just throw tech at it and similarly in a negative way you can't just throw tech at somebody um yeah it needs yeah all these other factors that yeah kind of lead to um you know whatever people want to be doing and also if that technology wasn't there you know people are going to do what they feel like doing at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They might not sit in a dark room playing video games or being on social media. They might just, you know, I don't know, sit in a dark room and kind of, um, I don't know, throw a tennis ball at the wall or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So when um, it comes to kind of ranking in a smart city kind of space, do you think that South Africa kind of fits in with um, – any sort of like rank, you know, if we were talking yeah. about smart cities, would people, would South Africa um, be on the list? Um, probably not. I, I, I think, I think South African smart city strategies thus far have been quite laudable in a sense that they've tried to focus on the socioeconomic developmental side. So it depends on what kind of thing you're looking for, I suppose. I, I, I think in terms of, you know, if, if your criteria for judging smart cities is, is, is the kind of connected, you know, the, say our, our, our ideal notion of a smart city is a kind of connected environment, um, highly mobile. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of trying to combine what you and I have been saying, what we think is a smart city with what the, the smart city discourse says. And I suppose if we combine those two things and, and derive criteria from that, we're looking at a, at a kind of city that's hyper-connected, um, where infrastructure is run very efficiently, um, and, um, and enabled, you know, resource management is enabled through smart technologies so that you kind of have better management of resources, um, and, um, and of course, mobility, I think, is a key part and, and connectivity. And if we, if, we use, if we use those as criteria for what we might see as the ideal smart city, I mean, that's just my definition, then I would say South Africa is not doing so great. Um, and and, and the, really, the really ridiculous thing is, and I'm, I'm using the word ridiculous very specifically because South Africa has the basic infrastructure that – um, is very good. It has the technical expertise. It's got good universities. It's, um, you know, it's got a very strong engineering profession, very strong IT profession. Um, and, and yet in, there are other parts of Africa that has better sort of, um, that has better sort of broadband connectivity than we do. Um, and the reason for that is our telecommunications sector has been very slow to kind of reform itself. And, um, I mean, I'm not necessarily a big fan of deregulation. 
because um, I, I don't like to think of myself as being that kind of neoliberally inclined. But I do think with regards to the telecommunications sector, you need to, you need to enable some competition. And so the, the deregulation of the telecom sector in South Africa has been very slow, um, too slow, so much so that we've, I think in many ways we've been overtaken by many other African countries and certainly many Latin American countries. Um, and I think that's a great pity because clearly the capacity is there. You know, it was really just a kind of political um, and institutional problem that kind of held things back. Um, but that's beginning to change. Um, and and I don't think I don't think the kind of smart city vision. You know, I don't think that kind of bold vision that drives um, smart cities and other parts of the world has ever really kind of taken hold in this country. Um, and again, I, you know, maybe it's just because we have other more pressing priorities, but then again, so do Chile, so do Brazil, you know, <laughs> so do Kenya. And they, they've certainly got interesting kind of visions around smart cities. Um, I, I think also we have a regulatory environment um, that is quite cautious um, about public sector interference in local government. So, you know, a lot of these big smart city um, uh, visions are kind of driven by um, big IT multinational companies who, you know, who see that see the kind of local government sector as being the kind of next frontier with regards to expanding their own markets. Um, I mean, hey, if you go to a city government, you know, and, and, and they have kind of, and there's, there's a kind of need to make sense of big data and enable kind of dashboards and um, eva monitoring procedures, then, you know, obviously the private sector is best positioned, um, big IT companies are best positions to, positioned to do that for city governments. Um, and, and, and South African procurement um, laws and procedures are actually quite quite stringent, you know, so it's quite difficult to um, – geez, I'm really digressing. I'm so sorry. Um, but, yeah, so there's, let me just say it's a very messy regulatory environment that has inhibited innovation. That's, yeah. that's, that's my headline <laughs> comment. Well, I guess that kind of leads on to um, – I was going to ask uh, whether South Africa – is kind of a good place um, to pilot smart technology um, and why or why not? You know, I think it's the perfect place to, to, to pilot um, new ideas. And the reason I say that is because you have um, – there's, there's good capacity, there's good skills, um, there are good universities. Um, South African universities are – Many academics would say this is not the case, but I would argue that South African universities are well-funded, um, that, um, you know, there's a, yeah, there's a knowledge infrastructure that would enable innovation. And at the same time, there's an interesting socioeconomic um, spectrum um, with regards to income um, that would enable, you know, ideas to be sort of tested across various socioeconomic groups. Um, and then you've also got a very vibrant creative economy, especially in a city like Cape Town and also Johannesburg, actually. Um, 
And you know, so I think I think there's 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 there's, a, there's creativity, there's innovation, there's the skills, there's a there's an interesting diverse market. Uh, I think it's a great place to try some new ideas. Um, but you know, and, it, it, and, and things are happening, um, but they're happening in small bites. They're small, you know, they're little kind of initiatives. Um, unless there's something I've missed completely, which you know doesn't bode well for me as a researcher. <laughs> so if um, I guess the yeah, I guess it's the same everywhere. I mean, different regulation, but you also you always have to get around regulation or not get around. I want to say work with regulation or um, you know to kind of have this uh, like an agile approach to regulation, which I don't. I know in Australia and Queensland, I don't think we've quite caught up with the agile approach um, for regulation yet. So I don't. I know in South Korea they've regulation has not really hindered them from what I could see. I didn't delve into it too deeply. The government's really jumped on board and made, um, you know, for autonomous vehicles or whatever, you know, they've, and they probably wouldn't call it an agile approach, but what I would kind of, yeah, see is an agile approach. So then we can, you know, leap forward and we learn along the way, we fail and then we try again. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I you know, regulations exist for a reason. I'm I'm, I'm not anti-regulation, but I also worry about regulations that are just kind of that inhibit innovation. I think mm. that's what worries me. Yeah, definitely. So, do you have any ideas about how um, we can better integrate across disciplines, governments, um, you know, industries, universities? Yeah, I mean. Uh, it's interesting because um, if, if I was coming from a strictly technical, techno-determinist perspective, I would say to you, oh, technology can do that for us. Because, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, that is the argument that often comes up. Um, if you look at, um, you know, how IT multinationals market their skills to government, um, and I've done interviews on this, so I've, I've heard it firsthand, um, it's often, yeah, but, you know, we have the skills to enable um, not only sort of data processing and making sense of big data, et cetera, but we also have the skills to enable joint-up government and to enable greater communications between large kind of uh, diversity of stakeholders, et cetera. So, hey, you know, the technology does it for us. But, of course, we know that's not the case. I mean, technology can help with it. But, um, it's a tool. But I think, yeah, it's a tool, yeah. Um, I think, you know, my experience has always been a shared vision. Um, I mean, if you can, if you can negotiate a shared vision, if we all want the same thing from the smart city, if we agree on what we want from it, uh, we could probably work towards it. Um, I don't think we'll all necessarily always agree, but if you can at least just, you know, sort of agree on a number of key principles um, and, a, and a shared vision, it's, it, it'll probably make a big, yeah, that will probably help a lot. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. Do you think that um, South Africa can become leaders in smart city um, technology or the smart city space? Yeah, the actual development of technology, yeah, maybe, well, I don't know, you know, I mean, there's there's been some great innovations in medical technologies, for example, and there's been great innovations and, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I often read about some interesting stuff. So I don't see, I mean, I think the skills are there and, 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 and certainly, I mean, even if there wasn't endogenous or South African research funding to do kind of R&D, 
Um, I mean, there's always, there's a lot of opportunities for working with other countries. Um, and, and, you know, and I think South Africa is still seen as one of those countries that, that often, um, uh, you know, that, that kind of avails itself to kind of collaborations and, and, and so on. So, so I think, I, I think the opportunity lies in that perhaps is where you, you, you kind of have a collaborative arrangement, um, that draws on the um, invention and innovation that is possibly um, more expansive um, due to kind of larger, um, you know, more resources, like, for example, in the U.S. or, well, that might change. Uh, it's probably changing already. Um, <laughs> but, for example, in Europe and so on, where you can kind of capitalize on that um, and yet – um, and then combine that with the um, sort of local knowledge um, of a great diversity of, of socioeconomic circumstances. Um, and, um, but of course, innovation also comes from working sometimes at the edges, right? So I think, I think, I think the key is, is collaboration. I really do. Um, you know, where you can kind of combine the best of, of, of both the North and the South into something that, you know, that requires problem solving. Yeah, definitely. Um, what do you think the emerging trends are that people aren't talking about yet? That aren't talking about yet? Yeah, they're not talking about them yet. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I suppose people are talking about driverless cars. They're talking about drones. Um is there anything that you've been like in your work that you've kind of gone, wow, this is the first time, you know, I've read about this or, um, you know, I'm going to be writing about this or, um, I mean, I, I think a lot of your work on a global scale, people aren't talking about necessarily the socioeconomic kind of factor. I mean, to a certain extent, but I think it's very relevant. Um, sure. Yeah. And, and using technology as a tool to enable that rather than just talking about the tech. Yeah. I, I, yeah, no, okay, yeah, I know that, that that's clearer to me now. Um, and, and thank you. Um, I think, I, I do think that there's, there's something to be, I think there's an interesting area of research around, around space and, and what happens, what happens to, to places and to spaces. Um, in, in, in that interface between human agency and, and, and technological, um, innovation. Um, I don't think we're talking about that enough. Um, and, and, you know, and yet these things are so critical. Um, you know, how, how we, how we experience the city has just got such a big impact on our well-being and our productivity. Um, and, um, so that's the one thing. The other thing that I'm, that some of my students have been working on more than I have. Um, and, um, and I think this is quite critical is how, how technologies can become part of the kind of mobility um, sort of equation. So for example, in, in, in South African cities, um, there's, there's great disillusionment with with the kind of post-apartheid city. There's a great sense that we failed as urban planners. We haven't managed to create more inclusive um, and, and, and livable cities. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a great sense of unease about that. Um, and what a lot of us are saying in the urban planning space is that, um, you know, we can't really 
we can try and restructure the city away from the kind of old segregated models from the apartheid days. Um, you know, we can do what we can, but actually perhaps what we should focus on more is enabling people to be more mobile so that there's just a greater fluidity, you know, so that people don't have to sort of travel. Um, I mean, I, I know of people who travel for two hours, three hours each day, um, who spend 40% of their, their disposable incomes on, on, on transportation. And, and that shouldn't, you know, that shouldn't be necessary. So I think a really interesting part of research or future research could be around, you know, how do digital technologies, how can they become an extension of kind of mobility or transportation um, infrastructures so that people just have an easier time of it, you know? Um, I had a student recently work on um, the paratransit sector. So these are, these are small um, minibus vehicles that are used as, as sort of um, little buses. We call them minibus taxis. Um, in East Africa, they're called matatus. Um, you know, and they, they essentially emerged as a kind of informal response to the lack of transportation options, um, specifically for black South Africans who were living in townships on the edges of the cities. Um, and now that it's just become a big industry, I mean, the minibus taxi industry is massive and and what my student worked on is, is, is he was trying to understand, I mean, the big complaint about minibus taxis is that, they, um, that they're dangerous, that they, they're, only, you know, they, they're very effective in getting you from A to B because they you know, race like maniacs. Um, but, they, <laughs> you know, that works. Um, but they also, you know, they kind of tend to be on demand. So if you, if you get into a minibus taxi at a place and it's not full yet, not all the commuters on board yet. It won't leave until it's full, you know. So that's not very efficient if you have to be there somewhere at this particular place. Sorry, I'm digressing again. But but um, what what my student Christian found is that you know there are ways in which you can use digital technologies, mobile phones, um, and apps to maybe enable a more efficient minibus taxi system. So to me, that that's exciting, you know, because you're talking about um, harnessing the power of technology to to solve an infrastructural problem that manifests so socially and socioeconomically. Oh, it's really interesting. Well, I just have one last question, which is um, how can people connect with you? Oh, right. Um, so I, um, <laughs> I, I, could, I could go through all my social media. No, <laughs> so I'm, I'm at the University of Cape Town um, and I'm in the School of Architecture, Planning and Geomatics. And I, yeah, if you Google me, you'll find um, I do have an academia.edu page with all my contact details on it. Um, and, um, and, yeah. You're if on you, Twitter? I'm on Twitter. Um, I don't use Twitter very often, which is a great embarrassment given that I work in, <laughs> in the space. But yes, I am on Twitter. I am on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but Instagram, yeah, I wouldn't recommend you look at my Instagram pictures. They're very boring, very boring cityscapes, unless it's your thing, you know. Um, but, yeah, I am on Twitter, and I do use Twitter now and again, but clearly not as much as I should. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll put links to your, um, like, uh, page and stuff on your Yeah, I mean, the academia.edu page is probably the best one. Well, yeah, thanks so much. And yeah, we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Zoe, for the opportunity. All right. See you later. See you later. Bye.
It's the Smart City Podcast. Whoa, Thanks so much for listening to the Smart City Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes can be found at thesmartcitypodcast.com. If you have any questions or comments for me or any of my guests, connect with me via email, zoe at thesmartcitypodcast.com or via the socials. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at smartcitypod. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Smart City Podcast is what you're looking for.